Hi, this is Evie Norfell, one of the hosts of the podcast. Our guest on today's program, Sam Payor from The Growing Space, is going to be joining me in Melbourne on the 24th of June to host the Support Coordination National Summit. We're really excited about it, and if you want to find more information, you can go to sccsummit.com.au. All right, here's what's going to happen now. Hello, and welcome to our podcast. We are DSC. Your turn. You're the boss. Disability Disability done done different, different. candid conversations. Hope you're ready because we're starting. Hello and welcome to Disability Done Different Candid Conversations. My name is Evie Norfell and I'm joined in the studio today by my co-host, Roland. Welcome. Thanks, Evie. And today we've got... (laughs) Sam Payor, one of our favourite support coordinators in the world. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do we have them anywhere else? (laughs) It's an easy call to make. I'll do a little bit of a background for Sam. She's got a quite an interesting background in the sense that you trained as an architect. You've got very early days of the internet in America. You were working in Silicon Valley, is that correct? That's right. And then on to commercial marketing, commercial crisis communications, and lots of sort of high-powered commercial sort of work. Yeah, had and a good th- time. Yep. And then came um, back from America, so you were um, working in America on those projects, had a child or children with a disability? Yeah, I had the boys while I was in the US uh-huh. and came home to be with the family and, and the works. have since undergone a, a significant career change. And just looking at your background today and thinking about what you're currently doing with the growing space, in a lot of ways there's a very interesting fit because you're an internet, you use the internet in a very savvy way with the growing space. And I, I'd like you to talk a bit about the growing space in a moment and tell us what it's about. But also that commercial marketing experience, the communications experience, it's all coming into one little playing field, isn't it? Funny, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Yes or no. I think it was it was so hollow and shallow in the US. Yep, yep. And now it's all got meaning. Now so it's all there for a reason. So tell us about the growing space, the inspiration, and tell us what you do. So we mainly almost entirely do support coordination work under the NDIS. And I do a whole lot of training of other support coordinators, but mainly um, supporting participants to learn, or people with disability and their families to learn about the NDIS, how to make the most of it. So we have a fair amount to do with the growing space and you, we, we, you're one of our few external people on our Slack channel, so we hear quite a bit from you. But I still I'm don't, pretty noisy. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I still don't really understand the business. Is it a virtual business? Do you have offices with people running around? Yeah, no, we all, there's now 10 of us as uh-huh. of this week and um, we all work from our homes and our cars and McDonald's and cafes and libraries and wherever, wherever people are, wherever people are that need us yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or can use us. And it's been one of those growing businesses. And Evie, we awarded Sam in the growing space. Sam made us call it the growing space award as opposed to the Sam Payer Award. <laughs> for what? For leadership in the NDIS. So we went looking for some providers at the end of the last of last year to give awards to for people who were doing things differently, doing great work. And we had a support coordination category, but we decided to give the growing space the award for leadership because of the work you do in leading the sector. I felt very honoured. Thank you. So, Evie, tell us what you find impressive about the growing space. So anybody who's active in any kind of Facebook group relating to the NDIS will probably have come across Sam and I think, oh, the growing space, sorry. (laughs) And I think some of the best work that the growing space does is in making a lot of the NDIS jargon, policies, decisions really easy to digest and helping people to understand what it means for them. 
I think you also set the bar really high in terms of what flexibility means and not just talking about self-direction and self-management and all those beautiful ideas, but really saying, if that's what you want, then here's the next six steps that you need to take to start down that journey, which is not what everyone's doing. Thank you. <laughs> You're embarrassed now. <laughs> I am. <laughs> but, you know, none of it would happen without my kids. And, you know, talk about breaking down the language. I remember it was a few years ago there was a letter from a former CEO um, and it just didn't make sense to anyone. And I remember reading it and thinking, wow, you're serving people with disability and there's just no way the vast majority of the people that we serve could actually understand this letter. So I rewrote it and we joked it, Tram Translates, and it kind of happened from there. And a lot of that I just credit to my son because I think if he couldn't understand it, then lots of people couldn't. And we need to be able to make this stuff accessible for everybody. For those of you that don't know, Sam, Sam translates is Sam taking bureaucraties or particularly highly bureaucratic letters and translating them, and they're just hilarious. And they've been some of the biggest viewed um, newsletters that we've ever put out, aren't they? Even yeah, we Sam often translates. republish the ones that Sam shares on Facebook, and they always get a huge read. So we've talked so much about Facebook, people are going to want to go there. Uh, Sam, tell us, tell them how to find you. Just the growing space, Australia. If you put just the growing space, you get some massage clinic in the US, I think. <laughs> and, and give us some of the brag statistics. How many followers have you got? Uh, what we, sort of thing is going on we've there? We've got around 20,000 people uh-huh. um, that have sort of clicked. Um, but then over the month, we reach over 100,000 people every month. That's phenomenal. Mm, that's huge. Yeah. I wonder, Sam, if you can tell us a story about your son, Ben, and the story that's featured in the NDIS Guide to Self-Management. And even though people could read it in the guide, I want you to tell it to them again because it is so good and I love how good the story is and how it's endorsed by the NDIA. Okay. So you want to know the story of how it got there? I want to know the whole story. The whole story. Don't leave out any of the details. Okay. Um, So I guess personally... I think maybe because of the relationships I've got at the agency, I'm probably a little bit braver about how I spend my son's package or how I help them spend their packages. Um, And this was something that I just thought was, I'm not going to send my kid to a respite facility. I don't like the concept and it wasn't going to be appropriate for him. Um, He doesn't need the accessibility requirements of a a purpose-built place. Um, He's very mobile, so that wasn't a need. Um, But what he did need to know when he turned 18 was how to be safe with alcohol because he's had probably an unhealthy interest before he turned 18. I don't know whether that's because of his uncle. John, I don't know if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, I really wanted him to be safe around alcohol when he turned 18. And generally when you're 18 and you're out with your mates, you kind of everybody's keeping an eye on each other and that. And he doesn't have that network of friendship of people that understand those things. Um, He does have a lovely support worker by the name of Clary. He's an OT student, second or third year. He's only six months or a year older than Ben, all very similar ages. Um, And I thought, well, instead of going off to respite, why don't I book an apartment in the city three or four nights, four nights I think it was, uh, and send Clary and Ben away for those four days. And then I thought, well, that's not that much fun. Why don't we invite Ben's friend um, uh, Charlie as well? So Charlie Charlie also has Down syndrome. And so the two boys with Clary went away for these four nights and the, the goal of the weekend was to learn how to be safe around booze. And there were things that I know would be risk managed to oblivion if he had gone to a respite with a traditional provider. Okay. So I actually asked um, Clary, I said, mate, do you reckon you'd be comfortable taking them down Hindley Street, which is our version of sort of King's Cross or whatever in Adelaide, um, on a Saturday night to see what drunk people looked like? 
So Clary did take the boys down Hindley Street on a Saturday night and sure enough there were girls puking in the gutter and boys swearing and punching each other. And it kind of made Ben pretty nervous and um, that was really good because Clary was able to say, hey, this is what happens when you drink too much. But he was also able to teach the boys that you don't engage with people when they're being like that, that you turn your head down, you walk on the other side of the road, you don't get yourself in trouble because naturally Ben's a pretty um, compassionate dude and he'd be quite likely to go up to someone who was puking in the gutter, some girl, and put his arm around her and I could just imagine some drunk dude, you know, punching him. Uh So he really needed to learn those things. And then the other things that I wasn't aware of that Clary taught them until afterwards were things like, and I never, I'm, I'm an old woman, and I never learnt this stuff when I used to go to pubs and clubs. Um, apparently now you have to watch when your beer is poured and you have to watch it go all the way to you at the bar and then when you walk from the bar back to where you are, you've got to keep your hand over the, over the bottle or over the glass so that no one's spiking your drink. And, of course, you know, I think there are probably some horrible people around there that would think it would be very funny to get someone with Down syndrome drugged. Um, but Clary taught them not to do that and how to protect themselves. And I thought that was really cool. And they, he also taught them things like going into the toilets and not looking at other people in the toilet, uh-huh. you know, or if there's someone doing untoward things in the toilet, you just turn around and walk out. Yep. And these are all really basic things that I don't think a traditional respite provider would generally speaking be very good at. There may be, there's probably exceptions. So Sam, you keep describing it as being a parallel to respite and that's because one of the best parts of this story is that it's all funded through the boys' plans. Yeah, absolutely. Not the beer, probably, (laughs) but the rest of it. it could have. (laughs) It could have. It's all activities and meals should be taken out. We didn't. We didn't take out any of the meals out or the alcohol. Um, the boys went to the beer and barbecue festival. They did also, and, and Clary's mates came and joined them. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of young guys dancing at the, at the beer and barbecue festival. The stuff that young people normally do. Yeah, and so the weekend away with the accommodation, the support and the activities and the food yeah. is all part of what is usually covered under the line item short-term accommodation. Correct. And so as a self-managing participant, Ben chose to spend that money on food, support, activities and accommodation, yep. having an experience that was pretty fantastic. Yeah, and the best, well, not the best part, but a really cool part of that, it cost 60% for the two boys what it would have cost one of them for respite. to go to respite. So one of the things I'd like to talk to you about, which really impresses me about you and has since I've known you, is, is your approach to innovation. And so I'll couch it as the way we would have done it as a disability provider when I was at a disability provider. I'm just going to interrupt provider. you. Why yeah. do we say that this is innovative? This is what young people do. This is not innovation. I wish we it just wasn't. have to do what regular young people or old people or other people, we just need to do what people do. Yeah, okay. So let me give you the example and then you can break it down even further. So I was running a disability support agency and I've been involved in a number. And we have a young man who comes along who's particularly interested in butterflies. And so then we try to find a way for one of our existing staff to accommodate his no. interest. So where do you take us, oh, Sam? <laughs> we had this recently. We have a, a young dude, a seven-year-old lad. I don't, I, I don't think I've told you guys this. A um, little, little dude with autism is totally into frogs. Uh-huh. And we're like, okay, they need a support worker on a Saturday. What? How are we going to do this? And I'm thinking, how the hell do you find a support worker that can work on frogs? So I actually went into Facebook and I just put in the Facebook 
search engine, Frogs South Australia. Lo and behold, you would not believe it, there is a Facebook page, Frogs in South Australia. So I messaged the admin and I said, hey, we're looking for a support worker that's got an interest in frogs. Can we join the group and put an ad in? Like, yeah, sure, sure. So we put up an ad, got probably five applications all of them PhDs and master's students in frogs, in frogs and zoology, picked one guy um, to do the work and got him sort of got his clearances and got all that stuff yeah, all yeah. sorted. And um, and now this little dude is going to the swamps every second Saturday morning checking out frogs, but because this other guy, this support worker theoretically, is um, has this exceptional knowledge, he's now learning about the ecosystem around the frogs yeah. and the bugs that the frogs are eating and and the grasses that it's living in and the water and the mould and the whatever else is going on in there, that cannot happen with a traditional respite or support worker agency. You can't hire someone just for two hours on a Saturday so and go through that whole process. Sam, whether you just say it's normal or not, it's a really sensational approach. And I want to try to unpack it a bit further. So part of the normal respite agency or the normal um, disability, I'll talk about the ones that I used to run, is that trying to get... Um, trying to enable staff to be flexible, enabling them to let go of control and allowing the people they work with to take control of the situation was often extremely difficult. Very, very, very impossible is probably a better word a a lot of the time. I think under the old model of funding, funding was always so scarce that everyone always felt that they had to make the most of it in a technical fashion, which is not what we do now under NDIS. So take us away from the, why have we moved away from the technicals? What, And well, not everybody has, so by the way. Most people with disability under the NDIS actually don't need anyone that's done manual handling, for uh-huh. example. Yep, they, yep. they don't need, there, there is definitely a proportion that need that, yep, and that's saying. important, but most people don't need that. Most people with disability just need someone to make sure that they're safe and help them learn stuff. Yeah. And... That could be you or me. Yeah. My 16-year-old son is now mentoring a little boy with autism that lives across the road. The mother came over. She's having a chat. Um, she's lamenting that she couldn't get a support worker that could teach her son Minecraft. Yeah. So my kid's like, oh, my God, me, 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 hands up, just desperate. And now he's got a part-time job working yeah. across the road with a little boy with autism. So let's keep pursuing this, Ritik. Just the, I see it as a failure to let go of control, which is also a failure to innovate. So I studied social work many, many years ago. I'm and sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things about um, social work is that it, it doesn't really give you um, a, a doctrine. It's not like studying science where you know these sets of issues are going on. You get a bunch of different theories for doing stuff. And so often when social workers are confronted with a problem, they freak out a little and go back to whatever it is that they're meant to do or whatever it is that they've learnt. And I I think I see this a lot, and I'll be interested in you picking up on this too, Evie, with case managers that are support coordinators, that they think they need to have the answers. And if they don't have the answers, they freak out. And rather than letting go of control, they actually increase control. Is that, am I making stuff up? Okay, so I don't work in that industry and I haven't hired those people. Uh So the people that we've hired and that work with us, the contractors are all um, either people with disability or parents of people with disability with a whole wide range of backgrounds. But I've only just hired my first social worker this week. You're scaring me. (laughs) (laughs) So what what I see when I, because I run a lot of support coordination training and I often tell that story that you've just told, is people's minds are blown. They're like, are you trying to tell me 
that this person that I support could have a weekend away in a lovely Airbnb a couple hours out of Melbourne with their friends and have that be paid for? It's like... Yes, that's boys, exactly what I'm saying. The boys went again in November. They went yeah. again in November. We rented an apartment down at um, down near the beach at Semaphore, um, and one of the boys' other friends lives nearby. And I said to Ben and the support rack, I said, "Why don't you give Will a call? See if he wants to come over and hang out." I only found out last week that William actually stayed overnight. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what lads do. Yeah. They have beers and they eat pizza and they watch movies. And yeah. if it's too late, they just crash. Now, people with disability don't get those opportunities, but they should. They can. But I don't know what it is. Like, I want to challenge people when they have this, like, strong response of, like, you can't be serious that people could go pay for short-term accommodation and it'd be fun and look like something that I would want to do. Like, I want to investigate the assumptions that are going on there. Like, what is it about this scenario that seems so wrong to you? I don't know because I don't see anything wrong with it. I had a client come up to me that had taken a copy of that self-management guide to her planning meeting and the planner had looked at it when she'd pointed it out and said, I'd really like to do this with my child. Um, and this planner had said, oh, we were horrified when we saw that. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what hope have we got if the agency can't, well, if some in the agency can't get yeah. that. I know they get that higher up at the agency, but it's not filtering down to everybody. Yeah, it's not, is it? Not yet. It will. I'm working on it. So help us understand if we're recruiting, if I'm setting up a support coordination business and I'm recruiting families of kids with disabilities, parents of kids with disabilities, people with disabilities themselves. As support coordinators. As support coordinators. How do I I release their, how do I teach them how to innovate? How do you teach them how to innovate? I think you've got to give them examples. Uh I think that's really important. So the frogs. So, yeah, the frogs and the the alcohol stories and Hindley Street booze. and I think you just, we do a lot of talking about just what would, what would anybody be doing at this stage of life? Yeah. I often have a conversation with, with families in particular just saying, if your kid didn't have his disability, what do you think they would be doing right now? And how can we get as close to that as possible? So I remember talking at a high school a couple of years ago um, and I was talking about, you know, hey, how many of you guys go bowling every Friday night? And they all, all the young people put up their hands and I said wouldn't you rather go rally driving and they're all looking at each other going and they're checking with their parents are we allowed to think that mm. I said it's okay would you rather go rally driving and of course they all put their hands up and the parents are sort of you know tusking in the background going oh they can't do rally driving but the truth is scouts for example have a motorsport group and you don't have to be the driver to do it and most young people could actually get a license to do it on the track even if they can't drive on the roads so here we are sending people to do bowling and bead threading and they could be rally driving mm. and drinking at the pub. So if you want to ask you a question and your view of Sam's business, so is Sam operating a bubble that is unique and different to the rest of oh, the I sector? Hope not. Or is it the early adopter? Is, is Sam where the rest of the sector will get to at some stage? Oh, yeah, I totally believe the second part. I think... Yeah, I, I absolutely believe the sector is going to where Sam is and I, I think it won't have an option not to. I want to take it to a different topic, which is the concept of the dif- differentiation of people with disability. And we experience it at the moment a lot. A lot of, say, aged care providers are coming into the sector and saying, we get aged care, 
we're going to do disability. And disability is used as this generic term to describe everybody from a person with a mental health issue to motor neuron disease to Down syndrome to cerebral palsy. And that group of people I just described have nothing in common, absolutely nothing. Um, so the, these big providers are coming in saying, we do disability. It just it doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. But I think we're seeing them start to fail already yep. because they don't understand what they're heading towards. So can you help me a bit? Um, I think specialising is really important. Uh -huh. uh, I think at this stage for us as a company, we are taking on almost anyone. Uh, well, we're not taking on anyone at all at the moment. We're full. But when we're not full, we'll take the referrals that come regardless of the disability. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, that's just a training ground for us. Um, and so that the coordinators, who are all pretty new to the game, really, um, are starting to learn what their specialties are and will be. Uh -huh. So I've got one coordinator who's restart, recently started um, and she's got a real interest in um, aged care and mental health. So what she's going to do now is you know, those clients that we have that are a bit older um, and or have mental health comorbidities, they're the people that she's going to look after. And I think she's going to do a brilliant job with them because she's just really passionate about older people and mental health. So tell us how hard planning must be. So I've been in the sector now for 30 years, and if you made me a planner, I'd be terrible because I don't know a lot and enough about motor neuron disease. I don't know enough about cerebral palsy or MS. To be a planner, to you're be saying, a planner. At, in the agency. So, so how can any single planner have coverage of the sort of people that they're seeing? I think the agency is sorting that out. Yep. So they're getting the, the complex pathways and they've got the intensive and superintensive streams yeah. at the back end of the agency, and they're doing a better job of that. So they've got teams for, you know, different disability types, and I think that they're getting more specialised. So I think they've learnt, I, th I thought they would have learnt it during trial, but they're, they're starting to implement some of that stuff now. So I think I think that is on the improve. And I'm hoping that LACs do the same. Yeah. So one of our new coordinators was an LAC, uh, and her at her LAC job, her job was funnelled into just working with a refugee population with the post-traumatic stress okay. that goes along with that. So I think we will see more and more specialisation happening. Planning, yeah. you have to say. For some reason, I've had a fair bit to do with lawyers on boards for quite a while. And one thing I've often found with lawyers, and I don't want to overgeneralise, is because they're dealing with a difficult side, they see things that go wrong. And so the first thing, the first um, option is often to see how any situation is going to go wrong and will often be quite conservative in their approach. And sorry to everybody I just insulted out there, but is that same in support coordination that you see a lot of things that go wrong and you start to worry about things that you're going to see go wrong? We've learnt an awful lot as the time have, has gone on. There's no doubt we've made all sorts of mistakes and done a poor job uh, in different places. Um I don't think we've sort of damaged anyone or done anything really dangerous. Uh -huh. um, so that's possibly coming in our future. Uh, we haven't got there yet, yep. so we're still pretty brave. Okay, good. That's great. Yeah. Sam, so we wonder if you're occupying a, bu a bubble, whether you're unique to the sector or whether we, we believe you're the direction that the sector will end up going. If you are, where is the sector going to be? Where is the NDIS going to be in, say, five years' time as opposed to where it is now? I would hope that we see a lot more people self-managing or self-managing with some plan management assistance. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot of people with a lot more permission 
to do what it is that they need to be doing. This stuff isn't new. Self-management has happened in almost every state for a long time and people that have had those packages traditionally have done great things with them. Yeah. Um, but it just hasn't been mainstream and the NDIS is the opportunity for everybody to grab that stuff. And I've been hearing those stories for years and years. Um, now's the time to be able to actually affect them with lots of people. So give us a quick overview of what self-management is for people who don't really understand it. Yeah, so self-management is where the money basically sits in the the ATM of NDIS and people with disability and um, their nominees go and buy. It, It means that you can buy your products and services from anywhere you want and you can pay anything you want. There's no restrictions on where or how much you pay. Only the only restriction is on how you spend the money. It has to be disability related, uh, and it's got to meet a few things that are outlined in that self management guide. Yeah, yeah. And the agency is keen to grow self management. Yeah, they are really keen. So why why is it not going gangbusters? Uh, I think one of the problems is that people don't have a float or no money up front. Yes. So you can't claim until after you've received the service. So yeah. if you want to pay for something up front and you don't have a credit card or you don't have cash, very hard to self manage. And often parents of kids with disabilities don't have yeah. a lot of spare often cash. Often we're very poor people. Yeah. yeah, so it's either that you don't have the cash or you could claim after you receive every single invoice and then you've got to spend an inordinate amount of time doing that. That's right. And there are some tricks to using the portal and, and making claims a lot easier and quicker, but there's not many people teaching that stuff. Yeah. Sam, you and I are on the board of Disability Intermediaries Australia, which is the peak body that represents support coordinators and plan managers. Yep. And this morning we were talking about... Uh, supporting people who self-manage to effectively also kind of plan manage. I wonder if you could talk about that vision a little bit. Yeah, so the vision is that um, if you're a self-manager right now, the only person that can make any of those claims on the portal is the person with the disability or the nominee. Um, And that's kind of dodgy because, you know, if, if I got sick, for example, if I wanted to go on a holiday, I should be able to give access to the portal to someone else. And you can't do that. You're my gov, you're not allowed to share it. So what we're really looking for is for people to be able to self-manage and not have the restrictions of the price guide caps and the um, uh, that stuff, but they have access to a plan manager or a plan manager-like product where someone else can do that side of things for you. So you'd be self-managing as you usually do, but you'd have the option to say pay, you know, we say a plan manager-like person, the $100 a month to take over the billing for you for some period of time. Or some people might opt to do it for the whole time, but still be technically self-managing so that they can pay the prices that they want to and have that flexibility. That's right, because right now under plan management, there is that restriction of the price caps and that's, you know, that's a problem. I should, we're not not happy about that at all. Mm -hmm. So Sam, I want to finish with a question that's a, the has been going on our Slack channel with DSCS and internal chat room Slack channel. And it was the question about love at work. And I remember your comment was, if there wasn't love in my business, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So I, I could be making a lot more money elsewhere. So you do it for? Love. Yeah. 100%. I want my kids to have an amazing life. Um, and I want that life and that love shared among everyone that we serve. It's really important to me that, We love the people we serve. So, Sam, before we go, is there anything you want our listeners to hear? Yeah, I I saw this thing on, um, came up on my Facebook feed and it was just a news article about a Winnebago, you know, the RV company? Mm -hmm. They've just made and launched in the US a series of accessible RVs. 
Uh-huh. I, and I just looked at them. I thought, oh, that's so good. But, you know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars for these things. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a disability service provider instead of building a respite facility, went and bought a couple of these RVs and then took people where they wanted to go. So if you want to go to a music festival or you want to go up to Broken Hill or you want to see the flowers, um, and that was the respite facility and you could actually have that registered as an STA facility and take people everywhere. I'm just... It was, it was something that's out of the reach, obviously, of individuals and self-managers, but I would think would be well within the reach. So if there are any providers out there that want to do that, if you do it, you let me know and I'll fill it. So we've been talking to Sam Payer, who we regard as one of Australia's top advocates in the NDIS, one of the most effective people in the sector. And even if it makes a blush, she's a very significant innovator showing us the direction we think the sector should go. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honour. You've been listening to Disability Done Different Candid Conversations. We've been in the studio today with Sam Payor from The Growing Space. If you want to learn more about The Growing Space, you can find them on Facebook, The Growing Space Australia, or at their website, thegrowingspace.com.au, where they have a fantastic subscription model as well as a bunch of free resources, and you can read all about that on their website. If you want to hear more from us, if you're not done hearing from DSC, you can also subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in the show notes or you can find us at disabilityservicesconsulting.com.au. See you next time. Thank you.